Hello and welcome back to Tapping Into Crypto, the podcast for all things cryptocurrency, whether you're a beginner, a Bitcoin veteran or just crypto curious. I am your host, Alicia Chapman, and this week we are joined by Senator Andrew Bragg to chat about all things politics, reforms, and cryptocurrency in general. Senator Bragg has been an active part of the crypto community and advocated for progress and innovation in this sector, overseeing the recommendations made to Senate on cryptocurrency reform in late 2021, which we discussed at the end of last year with Chloe White. Now, if you haven't listened to that episode as well, unpacking what was suggested, we've popped the links in the show notes, so make sure that you go and check that one out as well. So let's dive in. Welcome to the podcast, Senator Andrew Bragg. It is so wonderful to have you here with us today. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you very much, Alicia. So today, there are so many different topics that we can dive into and talk about and lots happening in the crypto world as always. Before we dive in, I would love to know the question that we ask all of our guests is what was your very first crypto purchase and do you still have it now? Well, uh, I'm a politician, so I don't generally get involved in too many complicated personal investments. But uh, I do hold some exposure through our managed fund, which is very recent. But my view was while I was running the Senate inquiry that I shouldn't be involved in these things in any way. Uh, But um, I think as most superannuation funds will now find that it is appropriate that most balanced portfolios have some sort of exposure to this sort of disruptive technology in some form. So, yeah. Yeah, and exciting that we're finally getting to see that accessibility come through as well most recently. So for those, a lot of people will know you and your history and how you've come to be, I guess, more involved in the crypto space. But would you be able to give us a high-level overview of your journey to date? Well, I mean, look, basically... The parliament needed to have an inquiry to understand what the hell to do with crypto. And so I was asked to do that. And as part of that review, we were able to put forward some concrete recommendations about how it should be regulated. And it needs to be regulated to protect consumers and to incentivize investment into Australia. And so my journey really has been as a policymaker where I've been asked to draw on my background as someone that has a lot of exposure to financial regulation to try and bring together a a decent reform package. So that was over the course of about six months. And those reforms, we did have an episode where we touched on those with Chloe White, just kind of as they were being considered and debated. And we will definitely pop that episode in the show notes for anyone that hasn't had a chance to listen. But as a high level overview, can you explain what sort of recommendations were made in those reports? Yeah. Well, I mean, basically, the whole purpose of the reform package was to ensure that you had a level of consumer protection in place. So you had capital requirements for markets and custodians, you had safeguarding of assets, you had uh, auditing, you had all the sort of uh, governance and property requirements that you would expect in a traditional financial market environment. And we felt that was necessary to protect consumers, but also to to drive investment into Australia because I think it is a race. I mean, the, the countries that get the best regulation in place soonest will be a magnet for capital and for people because the disruptive technology is such that it's very dynamic. So it will just move to where the best regulation is. So in summary, the reforms are about protection of consumers, but also to try and incentivize investment into our country. 
And since that report initially came forward, what sort of things have happened since then? Because that was late last year that that was kind of all put together. Yes, the report came out in October and then the government adopted it in full almost at the end of last year. And then in April this year, we released a consultation paper to look at how the markets could be set up. But there are a few different parts. There's how you would regulate crypto markets and custodians. There's also a piece around looking at taxation of crypto assets. And there's also a separate piece of work on debanking. A lot of digital asset businesses find it hard to get access to banking services. And that's a real problem. So there's a process on that as well. Mm. And was there anything that I guess wasn't included in that package that you were hoping there would be? Look, the only recommendation that the government didn't adopt was my recommendation on renewable energy and crypto mining. And I think that was a shame and a missed opportunity because one of the main externalities in this space is the environmental impact of mining and the large amount of emissions. And in a state like Tasmania, where you have very cheap, very clean energy, there's no reason why that couldn't become a global hub for, for the miners. And I think in the absence of a government incentive, that opportunity could be lost. So I'd like to relitigate that. Yeah, definitely. And that's something that we often hear. Like, you know, one of the biggest challenges when people are debating whether crypto is something that should be more widely adopted, something that does come up a lot is around that energy and consumption. And in those other pieces that are going to be moving ahead, when do you think we'll start to see them actually being implemented? Uh, well, the Australian people decided that they have a different government. So we now have a situation where the Labor Party will have to make good on these changes. Now, Labor won the election without having any real policy in this place at all. I mean, they had very few policies overall, I have to say. But, I mean, I think they should be given maybe another month to consider their position mm-hmm. and then they should be bringing forward some legislation. Yeah, well, it's something that I know even our listeners, like that question has been so forefront of everyone's mind is what's going to happen with this new government? Are we going to see, you know, the same levels of excitement and moving forward that we did previously? And I guess that probably is just a a wait and see at the moment. Well, as I say, I think the Labor Party won the election with a threadbare agenda. They had no policies in this place at all. And we will hold them to account because if they fail to legislate a crypto market scheme, then we will lose the race for investment, for talent and for consumer protection. And that is huge. Looking across the world, who do you think is currently doing a really good job of that? Well, the United States is currently debating a bill that was introduced into the US Senate about three weeks ago, which is a bipartisan bill by Cynthia Lummis and Kirsten Jellybrand uh, from Wyoming and New York State, respectively. And that bill puts in place a framework that addresses things like debanking and market licensing and determines which tokens are run by certain agencies in the US and whether they're commodities or whether they're securities and all that sort of you know important definitional stuff. So they're having quite an advanced conversation in the US. In other countries like Singapore and the UK, they've already legislated systems. So it's not as if we're looking at a blank sheet of paper around the world. I mean, other countries are moving ahead or have already locked in some significant changes. I mean, another country that's made a lot of progress is the UAE, Mm. United Arab Emirates. So it's very dynamic. So we really would be risking it if we didn't do anything. 
And stripping it back for our listeners who perhaps are still at that starting stage of their journey, what sort of things do you think we are going to need to see to become that hub, to become that leader and that innovator that people want to bring their technology here? We've got to have laws in place that give the investors certainty that Australia will treat their businesses in a particular way, right? And therefore, there is a protection of regulation, be it a capital requirement or a governance standard that applies to that activity, whether it's a crypto market or whether it's a custodian. And I think just having that in place will make a really big difference. And so that's what I believe that the domestic and foreign players are looking to Australia to do. I mean, if you look at the submissions that have gone into the Treasury Department in relation to the latest consultation paper, when everyone is saying, let's get on with this and regulate something, just make a decision. Yeah. Because the failure to make a call will mean there's a flight of capital. And even coming up to tax time, it's a perfect time to be talking about this because I think there's so many investors who have come into this space and they're still so unsure of, you know, what is the right taxable event. And, you know, we're getting more and more clarity on this as we move forward and more and more tools that help us to do this. But at the moment, it still just does feel so gray in that no one really, really knows what we're doing. Yeah, well, so that, that's why we need to make sure that we keep the government to account and do our jobs in opposition. Yeah, definitely. And I think there is that that push to everyone having their voice. And, and we do see that within crypto and blockchain as well with that move to decentralization and everyone having a say, which is really cool. Well, you mentioned bringing people here as well and incentivizing them. And something that we're seeing across the world is a lot of DAOs and a lot of companies you know, start to innovate in this space. Are we doing enough now to have a sufficient foothold for DAOs to establish themselves here? I mean, the DAOs um, will be the subject of an additional reform. I mean, I imagine that the, the law reform that deals with the establishment of crypto markets and custody won't also deal with DAOs because there hasn't been any consultation on that yet. But, I mean, a DAO bill could look at how other jurisdictions have put in place DAOs. I mean, of course, DAOs have also come about just because of no government action. I mean, that's the whole point of them. Some, some, some people listening would say to me, but... The way that we will look to put DAOs in place in Australia, I think, will require there to be, you know, a natural person or a physical person somewhere in Australia, you know, a director or something. I mean, the whole idea of having these things is having no connection at all to any sovereign nation, I think, is just not how we can do business. And I think that there'll be enough coalescing amongst the advanced economies through the OECD and the like that the major countries will want to try and agree as much as possible how DAOs should be legally recognised. I mean, it's, it's tricky, right? Because you don't want to you don't want to kill any innovation here, but you also need to recognise that. I mean, the company structures have been in statute for hundreds of years, so there needs to be something, especially if you're providing services to retail consumers. Yeah, and I think that's the other interesting part of this conversation is that a DAO or anything that's kind of based in this space, it could technically operate from anywhere. So if we're not providing that support and we're not providing that encouragement, there's there's not a great deal that's stopping them from going somewhere else. Yeah, that's right. So the DAO could be anywhere. It could be in any jurisdiction around the world. And I think, again, we're going to want to have those DAOs to have some sort of domicile or something in Australia because we want to get the economic benefit of that being in Australia recognising that we can't also think about it through an old-fashioned prism of, you know, you have a 
an office in Pitt Street, Sydney, and therefore you use the lawyer there or you use the accountant there. I mean, you might you might want to be using an accountant in Singapore or a lawyer elsewhere. But I mean, there is clearly, I guess, you know, to be sort of candid about this, if something goes wrong, we need to make sure that there is someone that the consumer or the regulator can talk to, mm-hmm. and that's more of a driver than perhaps using local service providers might be in other investment attraction scenarios. Yeah. And do you think that, you know, there's all of these incredible ideas that are coming out and we've seen them over the last 12 months and we've seen so many people create incredible companies. You touched on debanking before, Mm -hmm. which is something that, you know, a lot of people are very interested in. For our listeners that don't know what that means, are you able to explain that at a really high level for them? Yeah. So debanking is basically where a digital asset business can't access banking services or where a digital asset business has been repeatedly withdrawn from banking services. And so we made a recommendation that there ought to be a process around that because it's very indiscriminate. And the government agreed that, that would be the case. And there is now a, a detailed review through the Council of Financial Regulators on what should happen in relation to debanking. And so what's the benefit that's going to come out of that for these companies? Well, I mean, it's very hard to be a digital asset hub if you don't have banking services available. I mean, the whole point of this is to improve the agency and the ideas and the options people have in their lives because of the advent of this technology. I mean, that's the whole point of it. Low prices, new ideas, but very hard to do that um, if you can't get access to any banking services because you, you won't be able to engage with the service providers. You won't be able to do your AML, CDF. So very hard. It's a big problem. Yeah, definitely. And and especially like, you know, it's it's great. I think this evolution of crypto that understanding, you know, know your customer, AML and all the laws and regulations in that space. We're seeing more yeah. and more people get educated about that and interested in it themselves as well and really understanding what that means for them as an individual. And I guess the data that they're sharing as well, which is a, a really interesting place to be in. Yeah, no, look, it is. And I think it's difficult because we don't want to force banks to bank customers that don't want to bank, but we need to be realistic that if you have a banking license, we need to be careful that we're not going to allow cartel-style behaviour mm. to knock out new competition. Yeah, with crypto, of course. Like crypto moves so fast. Everything, the blockchain technology, like even the ways that we're innovating and building moves so quickly at the moment. And I guess with regulation and with coming up with policies and those things, we have traditionally seen them as something that does take more time to do. How are we going to keep up with the innovation that we're seeing? Well, that's why we need to make sure we have laws that don't lock in a particular set of technology at any point point in time, we need to make sure we have technology-neutral approaches so that the evolution that will happen in the market can be accommodated by the legal system that we have. Now, in the past, we've had the Corporations Act provisions, which were largely frozen in time in many areas in 2001 when the Act was proclaimed. You know, we spent almost two decades talking about um, moving from wet signatures to electronic signatures, right, which is kind of unbelievable, electronic (laughs) which is now possible, but it was only made possible because of the pandemic. I mean, it forced a temporary change, now there's a permanent change in place. So we need to make sure that our law reform here is technology agnostic. It's very important. Senator, something I would love to discuss with you is the concept of digital currencies that are being implemented across the world, and we're seeing some countries adopt their own central bank digital currencies now. Do you think we're going to see that in Australia? Look, when I ran the review, I I was more bullish about the idea of having a retail CBDC, but I'm now not so sure that would be the right thing. I'm not sure you can manage the privacy 
implications of having a retail CBDC. I mean, I'm not saying definitively that there's no way you could manage it, but it doesn't seem to have any simple solutions here. And my sense would be culturally our country is not going to embrace the idea of the government having permanent voyeurism in our financial affairs. And for those that are listening that are still getting their head around this, how would it differ to the currency that we have today? If you had a retail digital dollar that would be issued by the central bank or the RBA, then you wouldn't need commercial banks for that purpose, for deposit taking, which means that you might not have many mortgages because you wouldn't have one side of the ledger of the bank, which would be quite a radical change and might not be in our country's interests, especially given our interest in housing in Australia, <laughs> desire to have mortgages. So, so look, the Treasury is going to do an inquiry into this. So let's see what they come back with. But look, it's meant to be Canada. It was that we were probably a bit too optimistic about this idea. I'm, I'm not sure that the privacy implications can be managed and there may be other undesirable um, implications. Yeah, and it sounds like you've gone on a bit of a journey with your thinking process on this. Was there anything that kind of triggered that change? I guess I, just, I was conscious that the Chinese digital yuan was something that was causing some concern in Australia and in the United States. If you look at the Lamas Brand bill in the United States, it does deal with this issue. And we need to be very clear that if there's going to be a Chinese government-issued retail central bank currency widely used in Australia, then that could be a very challenging security implication for our country. Mm. And it's made me think more carefully about, you know, would we want to have that ourselves? And um, as I'm not convinced that the privacy implication can be managed. When you think about the idea of, of the RBA issuing the retail dollar and then therefore knowing every last transaction that you undertake, uh, I'm just not sure that Australia would embrace that. You know, so from my point of view, I just don't think that's, that would be appropriate. So having had a bit more time to think about it and mull over it, that's my view. And, you know, politicians like you know, everyone, you know, you think you want, to, you want to maintain an open mind. You don't want to dig yourself into positions where you can't move if you get some new information. Yeah, and this space is so ever-evolving and changing and new things happening all the time. So the information that you have at hand is always updating as well. And I think that CBDC is a, a really interesting topic and it's something we could talk about for hours. So we are going to do a completely uh, separate episode just on unpacking those and all the things that we've seen in that space. Because you are getting to hear directly from so many people in this space and see these reports come out, what are you hearing is the biggest frustration amongst people at the moment? Well, I think the government takes so long, so slow, you know, and I think government is slow. We have a full democracy in Australia, which means that things do move a bit more slowly than some other countries like Singapore, where they're able to have a different sort of form of democracy. So, yeah, I understand that. But look, I, you know, I'm very much on the case. So for people who are listening and they're worried about, you know, will the new government be prepared to go ahead and get these things done? I mean, I'll, I'll be pursuing this very, very closely. So for people listening, what can they do with this new change of government and feeling that frustration? And, you know, regulation is that funny thing where some of us will go, oh, gosh, no, I don't want that. Why would I want more regulation? Why would I want red tape? But there is that benefit to it that you've mentioned as well. What can people do? Well, if people go to the Treasury website, which is treasury.gov.au, you can see the latest consultation paper, which we put out before the election. Some people might say we tried to election-proof the agenda, but I couldn't possibly comment on that. Uh, 
and people should look at that consultation paper and they should send me any thoughts they have. I'm very happy to talk to people if they're my constituents from New South Wales. Um, they can drop me a line. People can come in through the front door, whatever. Um, I, I mean, I'm interested in any anyone's views about how this could be done best. And I think one thing that we should do better in, in politics and in parliament is to be more accessible mm-hmm. to public. And the way that I tried to design the report which made these recommendations was on the back of a huge amount of engagement with the industry. So I mean, look, my sense of it is there is a large and sophisticated industry in Australia, people doing lots of, lots of exciting things with cryptography and um, blockchain, and uh, we want to make sure that we can make that work um, mm. as best we can. So I'm, I'm very happy to hear people's ideas. It's a very dynamic space, so it doesn't stop. And have you seen with the market changes that we have seen over the last six, 12 months, have you seen a change in people's sentiment and I guess even excitement around working in this space? Well, I mean, I think that there's a, the case for the technology, I think it's strong. Um, and I think some people, you know, focus on the prices of different things, but that's not my place to comment on that. But I would just say that the utility of the technology is very strong. And I think that the use cases around peer-to-peer lending or using the technology for Indigenous art or whatever. I mean, there's so many great use cases that didn't exist before the evolution of this this technology. So uh, I remain uh, very positive about it. I think that it's important that we get the reforms in place to protect consumers because not not everyone is going to be able to protect their own interests, which is why we have a system of regulation in the financial sector. And uh, frankly, we don't want to see regulatory arbitrage. So but, you know, I think we, uh, we remain open to any views that the community has on how this can be best done. Mm. And have you seen any particular technology that you think or you're hearing the, the public is most excited about? Well, I think look, the whole idea about people getting away from banks and being able to use peer-to-peer lending, I think, is, is really exciting for people, uh, particularly people who haven't had every opportunity that may be available to wealthier Australians. So I think that is exciting. But, yeah, equally... If you look at the use case of the technology for Indigenous artists living in remote parts of Australia, I mean, they're able to get their artwork into the market and then have the provenance protected Mm. Um, and then then have those revenue streams over the long term, which is available to recording artists but not has been available to these sort of artists. Yeah, and we've seen some horrific things happen in that space in the past where, you know, those original artists haven't been compensated for their work. So I do think that's a really interesting space as well. Well, Senator Bragg, it has been amazing having you on today. Thank you so much for sharing your views and where we're at at the moment. And I guess giving some peace of mind to those that are a little worried about what's happening with this change of government as well. But I am sure we will be hearing from you in the future and excited to watch this space. Thanks, Felicia. It's been great to be on today. And uh, yeah, stay in touch. Thank you so much for joining us for today's show. If you liked it, don't forget to head over to the gram and join us at Tapping Into Crypto. And before we finish up, just a general disclaimer that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. And the opinions on this podcast belong to individuals and are not affiliated with any companies mentioned. Any advice is general in nature and does not take into account your own personal situation. If you're looking to get advice, please seek out the help of a licensed financial advisor. We'll talk to you soon.